Welcome to DadBot History. I'm Eric. We have Cameron and Nick. There is no Jake. Jake has moved to Utah where they don't have electricity. And uh, I don't know what to say about that. He just He's off the reservation until he gets his covered wagon back to Arizona or something. So this is a little DadBot goes to the movies. Is that right? This is Eric, much you've overdue. You've this since the last I was on. You, you've really improved as a host. I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm amazing as a host. I'm amazing as a host. A lot's, well, a lot's happened since you've been on, Nick. I guess we so. Waiting around for you. I like it. I like it. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, this, this has been a long time coming. This is, you know, ever since we started doing this, I have been pushing for this topic, you know, as, as the non-history guy of the group who, who doesn't have a history degree and hasn't taught history exclusively, um, I have a pretty narrow field of, of expertise, <laughs> but we're finally within my area of expertise, so I'm pretty psyched today. <laughs> Nick's about to learn a lot. I, I'm, not, I'm not putting any pressure on myself. I'm just here to... Uh to launch into the uh, festivities. <laughs> Let's do it. But I also like basketball. Let's just say that. Yeah, so we're, we're talking basketball. Like I said, um, kind of a uh, dad bod goes to the movies. And uh, we watched or rewatched or remember watching The Last Dance about Michael Jordan mm-hmm. and the 1997-98 Bulls. So I watched three episodes today in preparation for this and took no notes. But, um, so we're going to talk about that, but first of all, how's, uh, how's like everything going leading up to Christmas? Uh, we're in a new house as Jake is from what I've heard. So that's been cool, but also stressful and, uh, yeah, looking, looking forward to being all moved in and the holidays being over with at this point. <laughs> it's just a waiting game <laughs> that's funny um yeah, yeah. we we've uh, on the old house and such we've been pretty busy too um this is my wife's busy time of year for for work and, and her photography business so she's been just editing up a storm and um we we kind of limped to the finish of of uh school this semester and we're pretty glad um but literally, we put up our Christmas tree a couple hours ago. We bought our first Christmas present, I think, two nights ago for the kids. So we may or may, like, we literally might push Christmas back in our house a couple of days just so that Amazon can, can catch up. <laughs> we're, we're completely the opposite. Amy started ordering gifts before Thanksgiving. Wow. Like, she wanted it done before December hit. And we were basically... We had we had made all our gift purchases before December fifth, 
And I bought the last thing today. It was really for me because this is kind of what we're getting a lot for the kids is Nerf guns. We're just nerfing <laughs> oh, nice. out. Just this is for me so I can destroy my children. Um, <laughs> I love but, that you had that prepared. But uh, oh yeah, well I had a lot of time, Nick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I was late to the podcast for the listeners that don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. But I, I had to, I told my wife today, um, okay, we, we've got a, we've got a, cause I made, I was at four different stores today and I said, okay, that's it. I'm home. I'm going to be home until Christmas Eve. I'm not leaving the house. We're not, I'm not going anywhere else for four days. Like I'm just, we're just staying put. And she's like, sounds good. I'm like, awesome. What? That's a great feeling when you know you don't have to leave the house. You don't have to change out of. Oh, oh, I'm sure I do. I'm just, I'm. We're gonna be like, nope, sorry. Drink the chunky milk. <laughs> Not getting milk until the 24th or something. So, yeah, that's our that's our plan. Awesome. Yeah, it's been too long since we've done this. I've uh, I've been excited all day to get together. So excited. So we're going to talk basketball tonight and it's dad bod history. So we're going to talk, uh, let's start from the beginning with James Naismith in 18. What was it, Cameron? 89. Let's say 1889 invents the game of basketball for something for people to do during the winter. Do you know what he invented next, by the way? Uh, I've heard you say this, but I don't remember. And my wife will kill me. He invented volleyball for the less athletic people. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I believe I it was that. something like that. People who couldn't that. handle cardio or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah. So yeah, we're talking basketball. And uh, we had some challenges on, on the text messages uh, between you two about basketball. I'm not sure what about, but, but we all kind of enjoy it from different perspectives, I think. Yeah, I, as I have watched this last dance, I mean, I, I don't spend a lot of time watching sports anymore like I, like I used to, you know, I'm just too busy for it. Um, but I literally, I downloaded the, the stuff. I became, you know, a card-carrying member of whatever streaming service I needed to that night during the premiere, and I watched it couple times that initial night I was that excited about it so I mean it was it, it was such a good documentary and it it really gave me a an appreciation to see it because I was a, a 15 16 year old kid during that season and to look back on it now compared to to then was was cool because you see it through a different lens when you're you know a grown-up and you understand the the game a little bit more not only the the X's and O's, but the, um, you know, the business part of the game, I thought was interesting to look at. Oh yeah. I, uh, I think, cause I, I rewatched the first three episodes today and some of the things that I forgot was like Jerry Krause. And again, my, my knowledge of, of the whole bulls thing is really from that documentary, right? The last dance. Um, 
Jerry Krause, whatever the truth may be, comes off as the worst person in that documentary as general manager of the Bulls. And just said he's trying to push his his uh, thing through, which is uh, his buddy to be the coach, right? Yeah, yeah, he, he made a lot of moves and they worked out. I mean, Scotty Pippen said it, that Jerry Krause was a very good general manager and he deserved a lot of credit to put that team together. Um, but yeah, he was just a little, a, a little man's mentality had such a huge ego. And they, they even mentioned that in the, in the um, documentary that he was, he's kind of a failed basketball player and just wanted to make a name for himself in this team full of huge egos. And he thought that he was the best part of it. You know, he yeah. wanted the organization to be great, you know, greater than the team. And um, he came off as just petty and a jerk. I thought, yeah, yeah. I thought Jerry Krause was a super interesting part of the doc, uh, but I don't because he's not around anymore, you know, and because of the fact that uh, the doc was obviously like Jordan biased. As much as I love Jordan, it really does make me wonder what his side of the story would have been, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I feel like they gave him an opportunity though to to speak and to, um, you know, they used actual clips of his words. Maybe it would have been cool to interview him now and get his takes on it. But um, yeah, yeah, he just he came off as as a jerk. Um, He's talking about the whole like uh, players don't win championships, organizations do. Right. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Some of some of the comments that he made and, and early I thought it was cool too. And this this was a big dig at Jordan and how petty he was. But I think it was in episode one or two, um, after Jordan broke his foot in the eighty five, eighty six season, um, and he came back and they put him on that minutes restriction, even even to win a game, they wouldn't put him in there. And the coach at the time right. said I'm going to lose my job if I put you in. And, you know, that's, that's not trying to win a game. That's, that's tanking a, and that's just an ego grab B by Jerry Krause. And I think that's a, that's a pretty, that, that is pretty damning for him. That's true. It tells you a lot about his commitment to winning or lack of commitment to winning. Right. You can't even play. I mean, what was it? What was Jordan on? What was the minutes restriction? Seven a quarter. Yeah, seven a quarter. Go. I was gonna say seven a game, but yeah, it was seven a quarter. Or seven and a half. Then, I, I I gotta. No, it was seven a quarter. You're right. Yeah. And it was and it was fourteen seconds. You know, and and they still ended up winning the game because of the leap and leaner of uh, John Paxson at the end. But you know, it's it's craziness to sit a guy out for 14 seconds. If, if you, yeah. you know, if you want to take the numbers game aspect of it, it's a one in however million that he's going to get hurt in those 14 seconds trying to hit, hit a game winner when he's your best chance at it. So. Yeah, there's a balance there. Um, I guess coming from a, a coach's perspective and, and kind of a, a team leader perspective, there's a balance 
to be struck? You know, where where does the um, where's the focal point of the objective of the team lie? Is it with a particular player leader? Is it with a coach? Is it um, at the organizational level? Um, and that also is when you when you find that it also kind of directs what's your your goal for um, the game that part of the season, the season itself, the, the longer term part of the program. And that's where it is kind of tricky sometimes because I've been, and I've been criticized for it. And again, this is as a junior high basketball coach, I've been criticized for it and being okay with um, letting a game be lost because in losing, we're going to, figure something else out along the way to help the rest of the season be successful. Now that's a junior high level professional level is different, obviously. And so if Jordan, you know, their objective is to win the games, but you see somebody from the organizational level is saying our objective is to be the best team next year. And uh, right now we're in a position to get a good draft pick and I could help us do that. You know, you can't, teams do it all the time and you can't really blame them, but players play to win. I mean, that's why they, they don't enjoy losing. So even though organizational leaders are thinking months or years ahead of time, players are thinking about, they're doing their very best at every moment to win. It's, uh, it's funny you say that, Eric, because I, I can think of a very specific time, um, earlier when, when I was still playing and there was a, an instance where we were up big in a game and I wanted to score more, score more, score more and have our team run and try to score as many points as possible and win as many points as by as many points as possible. Um, because that would help our rankings going into the playoffs. And I got into a big mix it up with a a fellow player who said, no, you know, we need to walk the ball down the court. We need to run our stuff, that kind of thing. And, and my mentality was, no, I want to, I want to run up the score here. And it's, it's, that's the interesting thing about sports and teams and everything is there's, there's probably some wisdom on both ends of that. Um, But you also have to think about the relationships there and, and the relationship between players and coaches and players and players of, you know, what is looking at the numbers going to do to the morale of the team. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, that, that was one of the coolest things about the documentary to me is, is basketball now has become a very much a numbers game. You know, you, you talk about uh, Steph Curry and, and how many threes he shoots and how much team teams score now. And there's so many guys that, that average 30 points a game now. Um, whereas back in the eighties and nineties, the game was different and, and there was fewer possessions and, and it was harder to score. So, you know, it, it was cool and, and refreshing to see that aspect of the, the documentary. They didn't really mention that Jordan scored such and such points in, in this year. Um, it was about, here was the tempo and the flow of the game and the tempo, the flow of the, of the year and what was happening in the season. I thought they did a really good job of 
putting that into context because you can't tell those stories with numbers. And, and that's, that was a, a cool part that, that I really liked that they brought up the Jerry Krause for the matters number to him or the numbers matter to him as a GM, but that's not what the game is about. And, and I, 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 I thought that was a cool take on it by, by Jordan and the makers of the, the documentary. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it focused, <clears throat> obviously it wasn't about numbers, but when those games happened where he was putting up 49 points or 50 points in a playoff game and really affecting the outcome, that became, um, you know, those were, those were bigger moments than just his, like, overall, you know, his impact on the game was so much more than the numbers, right? It was that he drove his team to do whatever it took to win, just like his mentality was. And I think that's what he brought to that organization that it's an intangible thing, right? There's, there's no numbers on it. There's no, there's no calculation on the Jordan effect, but it was clearly there. Um, and you saw it in the way you talked to people and the way it affected his relationship with other people on the team is that they were strained relationships because it was for him. It was very simple for him. We want to win these games. And if you're not doing what it takes to win the games, then you shouldn't be here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think that we all wish that we were that hyper competitive or hyper tough. And, I, I think that we all like to, to believe that, oh, if I were that talented, if I could run and jump and was big and strong like that, um, I would be as tough like that mentally. And that's how I would be. And I think that we all fancy ourselves as that type of player. And that's why he was so popular. And that's why it just captured the imagination of everybody. This, this documentary is um, just that the size of his personality was huge huge mm -hmm. you know it affected everything and everybody and i mean he was he was literally the most well-known most popular person on the planet for most of his career and that's saying something i feel and and maybe it's maybe it's um well i'm 39 now and i'm not 13 but i feel like if i walked into a building and I was standing next to a metal fence, right? And LeBron James walked by. I have a feeling that I would be like, oh, that's LeBron James. That's really cool. But I, I, I don't think it, it's the same as I would have been as a 13-year-old um, when Michael Jordan was playing, having Michael Jordan walk by. I think it would have been a completely different experience. Um, and whether that has to do with being a 13-year-old versus 39 or, well, it's just another celebrity. Because um, I think it's changed now. We see so much of the celebrities now that I think it's, I don't think the effect is there. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, I don't remember what episode it was. It was probably episode four or five or something, but when they started talking about the dream team and how the NBA really became 
a worldwide game as a result of that 92 team. And, you know, whenever you're signing autographs as the dream team for the opposing team before the game, you know, and, mm-hmm. and during a timeout, they would come over and, hey, Michael Jordan, can I get your autograph in a in an Olympic basketball game? That's pretty cool <laughs> when they're when they're telling stories about that. And that's not just the other guy but especially Jordan kind of spearheaded that. Um, yeah. I, I, I can't even imagine that nowadays. Yeah, probably not. And and you think they're, well, part of it is going to be because the international players are playing in the NBA now. So when they do go back and represent their home country and they play the U.S., they're telling their, their teammates don't talk to them. That's not how this happens. This is not how that works. Like there's gamesmanship here. We got to not chat. Um, But at the same time, Jordan was playing golf with Danny Ainge, like the day before their playoff game against each other. Right. So yeah, I think that's, I don't know if that's a common thing. I mean, players do constantly communicate now, um, but but I do think there's something about the, the 90s, mid 90s and early 90s, and even late 90s, but the 90s, there was, we were kind of in that sweet spot where it was, there was kind of the saturation, right? That, that's when the NBA took off. That's why Pippen's contract was so, was so small is because when he signed it, it was 1991. Yeah. And it was right before the market took off, right? So, you know, he's like the person that, you know, well, I guess that'd be in in their benefit, you know, buys their house before everyone else starts buying up the houses, right? Like they got a great price on him. Um, Yeah. But it, it, the nineties were that sweet spot before, before the technology was so much that you could oversaturate, it was perfectly saturated on TV. Nowadays, it's it's overly saturated, right? It's internet, it's TV, it's on our phones, it's it's on the it's everywhere. But the '90s was just kind of that that Goldilocks zone, just enough, yeah. not too much. And now it's too much because um, <clears throat> now people care what. Uh, LeBron or Kawhi Leonard or Kyrie Irving or or any of them, they care about what they say and think, and and that that's fine. Like they they it's great that they have their platform, but but now people are it's it's about more than the basketball, and that's yeah. not ideal. I was surprised that that came up as well. Is you know guys are almost vilified now if they're not social justice warriors and and to hear michael jordan talk about that is yeah i just i I wasn't i didn't feel qualified to talk about that i was only worried about basketball i was only interested in basketball and you know was it was it selfish yeah maybe but i i just felt out of place to do that and um to your point eric yeah athletes we ask a lot more out of our athletes now, whereas Michael Jordan could pretty much be a jerk behind the scenes and smile in front of the camera 
and nobody cares. And I, I think it was and nobody had it on film. It wasn't on somebody's right. phone. It wasn't nobody tweeted out or texted about it. It was just like, that's that. The public was less cynical in the mid and late nineties. Yeah. I'd say. Yeah. And, and as, as much as changed in the game, there's so much that's changed in the world since 1998. I mean, we were all kids. We were all teenagers when that was going on. And obviously that's pre widespread use of the internet. And that's pre 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 dad bod, right? dad bod i mean because that that has really changed the world i mean look look at all that's done to the world um so yeah it's it's kind of cool to see it in the historical context oh, um you know jordan was the perfect guy to move the nba forward and now i just read that um Giannis, he signed a contract 42 million a year for five years i mean that that blows my mind yeah. Jordan at the height of his greatness was, you know, signing one year contracts, I think for, for 30 million. And he was like head and shoulders over everybody. Well, I mean, I, I have NBA up on ESPN right now. And it's like Kyle Kuzma, three year, $40 million. Yeah. Rudy Gobert, $205 million extension, five years. Um, <clears throat> you know, and part of that's inflation, but part of it's, I mean, they have so much money, the NBA, right? They have revenue from everywhere. So, I mean, they have the money. Nick, what do you think? Well, I missed a couple of minutes there, but uh, generally I enjoyed the documentary. Is that what we're talking about still? Are we talking about modern salaries? (laughs) Uh, No, I think Jordan, like, really obviously influenced the marketability of basketball players and the way that he uh marketed himself and every seems like every moment that's one of the interesting things about the documentary is that every moment he was thinking about the fact that you know this next kid i see on the street or in a hotel lobby or in a stadium might never see me again and he may have never seen me before and that's a super interesting mentality that he had um, so I've got to play. In terms of his image, yeah. I've, I've got, got to play, play my very best. Or And I can't, I've got to look my very best, right? And I've got to act my very best because people are around me. And that's really interesting mentality to take on when it comes to promoting your own image and selling sneakers, essentially. But it's also unimaginably exhausting. If you think about that and what that would mean. And that was one of the more interesting things about the doc to me is... Um, just how it's like I understood celebrity better after watching the doc and like the toll that celebrity takes on you. And I think it's easy to say, ah, wouldn't that be hard if you couldn't go anywhere? But you actually see it in this doc, especially in those last couple of seasons, where he's just holed up in his hotel room or in the training room at the arena. And there's just like a few people that he can hang out with. And after that, Everything, everybody else is too exhausting or too dangerous. Yeah. Uh, as I rewatch these, these, I'll again, like I, I'm going to rewatch the whole thing here soon, but the first three episodes, it doesn't get into uh, his, his best friend, who is basically just the first guy that picked him up at the airport in Chicago after he got drafted. 
Yeah. He just ended up being his like professional best friend, whatever, whatever that meant. It was kind of confusing, but this, this, I forget his name, Michael something. It's basically like George something. Oh, George, like became the one guy he could trust his confidant, like his best friend. Uh, Because he wasn't someone who was coming after him for his money. Wasn't some friend from his past who was like, hey, I got a restaurant. You should start. Um, Just this guy who was like down to earth. And that's 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 an odd thing. Yeah. And his his bodyguard, Gus, you know, was just like a. Is it the crazy hair Gus or? No. No. That's my favorite guy. (laughs) (laughs) The security guard. That, that does the Jordan shrug when he beats him in like quarters or yeah. something. It's like my, one of my favorite scenes in the last dance. You know what happened? That guy has been telling that story to everyone he knew for yeah. 20 years and no one believed him. And then the doc came out and he's like, and it's even better than the story he told. <laughs> and you can see Jordan was pissed too. Yeah. Oh, upset that he lost that. You know he's got to yeah. get big game seven against the against the Pacers, and he's losing at quarters to the. <laughs> right. He definitely got that guy back for it at some point, for sure. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's oh, another yeah. story. But I mean, so imagine being one of those security guards. What? How? How cool of a job is that? That you spent <laughs> what ten years, basically hanging out with guarding right hanging out with michael jordan 40 some nights a, uh, a year just hanging out with him before and after the games yeah again probably being the only people that he really treated as friends and was really honest with yeah yeah wow, it's I, a crazy I, thing i can't imagine that amount of pressure you know we all say that yeah i'd love to be a professional this or i'd love to be famous at that or you know, the, the fact is that, like Nick said, it's exhausting and that kind of life, I wouldn't wish on myself or, or most people just because it's, it would be pretty terrible in a lot of ways to be able to withstand that. And, you know, obviously he got paid a lot and obviously he was, you know, beloved by so many people, but very few people, aside from all the basketball stuff, can deal with that. And he almost said it apologetically. He almost said it, you know, my, my ego's gotten so big now and I've been treated this way for so many years that, you know, there's, there's really no going back. And, and he created a monster that, you know, you, you could tell by the end, he was, he was done. He was over it and he wanted to just ride off into the sunset. And that made the, the documentary, they did a good job of bringing that to light and it just made it even more, cool that all of this was swirling around the team and they still got the job done yeah it's true it makes you wonder what his life is like now you know you don't see him very often he doesn't make a lot of appearances um he makes a lot of statements and other people talk for him i can't imagine he goes out in public much right like he just has some palatial estate on a golf course in florida yeah and uh lives out his life there yeah that's an interesting existence mm-hmm. there's well, his, sh- 
one of his daughters has an instagram account like one of his three kids because like his his kids aren't in the doc very much right (laughs) which i i always wonder is that his choice or is that the director's choice the director insists that it was the director's choice his own choice that jordan didn't tell him to to take not take anything out or keep anything but I looked up his daughter's Instagram account at some point while I was watching this doc. Just to, I was just curious because I think she works for the Jordan brand. And like five pictures down, ten pictures down, it was like her and her husband. She'd recently gotten married, and Michael Jordan just at a wedding. It's a wedding photo, just like her family photo, and then the pictures keep going, and it's like her and her baby and stuff. It's just so fascinating what it must have been like for them as well. And still is today to like have that guy as your dad. Yeah, it was a really interesting thing that the doc didn't really touch on at all. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I yeah, I mean, still it's ten episodes, but there's got to be like the focus, and the focus is on that season, and it's on on. No, yeah, I don't necessarily disagree. Right. With it's just the, like the choice. It's just interesting because that they didn't touch on his family life really at all. Very no, it didn't. I didn't. Nick. Uh, what? That's a very dad comment. <laughs> Where <laughs> are the kids? The, yeah, what's going on? No, I mean, it probably was better. I mean, it might have been better this way because it would have been distracting. You, you almost need twice as many episodes if you're going to dive into family stuff. But sure. um, So I don't necessarily disagree with it. But uh, yeah, it's just interesting when you talk about his personal life and how this all affected him and what it means for him now. Um, yeah we don't we still don't know very much right that's true so, so what do you think about sorry what, what do you think after watching it this is something i'm really curious about do you guys how biased do you feel it was like do you feel that you were just watching another jordan fluff piece that is 22 years down the road and so we're okay with cursing like it was a revelation that he cursed and we're okay with like some of this other little thing, these other little things that we pretend that the doc pretends are like these very um, revelatory discoveries about Jordan, but really our culture has just caught up and it's not that big of a deal anymore. You know, do you feel that that's what it is or do you feel like it was still kind of a fluff piece? I think we still knew these things, even, you know, some people said, oh yeah, he was a real jerk and you know, I learned that and I, I didn't like him after the documentary or whatever, but I think we all knew that as it was happening. I mean, the, the last shot in, in 98 in Utah, when he, when he pushes off Byron Russell, like everybody knew that he pushed, they didn't care. And that's, that's how powerful he was. Refs were intimidated to call a, a foul against him. You know, right, other, like, other yeah, it's, it's just gamesmanship, just gamesmanship. They just give him credit instead of right. calling it, saying it thousand. <laughs> and he was, can you imagine that? He was so intimidating that nobody would call a foul on him. I mean, right. that, that blows my mind, but, but everybody knew, eh, you know, if, if Barkley would have done that or if Magic would have done that or, or some other great player of that era would have done that it's offensive foul you're going the other way but he was deified for that like oh he's so smart he's so savvy 
Well, it's one thing to we didn't care. It's one thing to not be called for a foul because you're a star. It's another to to be protected, right? Like in the episode where they talk about their series with the Pistons, and the Pistons just were were hitting Michael Jordan left and right. Um, <clears throat> there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of the protection given to Jordan like there would be to LeBron. You tap LeBron in the arm, it's a foul, right? Um, so I think I personally think that was more a product of just the era, like yeah, that's true. Fouls are just called differently now, but because if you you have to remember that um, Jordan had to earn that level of respect from the refs, right? Yeah, I don't think he really got that coming in. So you talk about the push off in '98. Well, he was already a god, like Cameron said at that point, right? So in the series against the Pistons, it's almost like the refs sitting back and going, "You got to earn this. Yeah, you got to get past these guys first. And that was what was great about the NBA in that era. Because yeah. if you look at every one of these teams, I think they talk about it a little in the doc too, Eric, um, where the, they all had to get over the hump. They all had to get over that team. That they had that team in their way. The Pistons yeah. did it with the Celtics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I just – I don't know if it's quite the same anymore. I, I think that still exists, but I, I do think that uh, trying to make the game more exciting and having more possessions and, and um, you know, the hand-checking rules being what they are now and all that kind of stuff, you just can't play quite as physical. And I think it takes away some of that edge and that challenge that used to be there. That's my personal opinion. It's, it's definitely a different game. That was that – was- interesting to go back and look at because you're absolutely right i mean somebody breathes on lebron and and it's a business right you know these guys are making 40 million dollars a year so if lebron's in the air and he's going to the rim you don't you don't hit right. him you know you're going to get thrown out of the game and suspended for doing what what the pistons were doing for jordan so yeah i mean hey it, it's just become so monetized now that the game has had to change there's you know there's there's a balance out there's a good and bad but you know getting back to your question nick about was this a jordan fluff piece and i'm i'm willing to admit i'm the biggest jordan fan ever so this is super biased of ever I, I honestly don't think that it was a, a a fluff documentary because they said enough bad stuff about him um you know they they went into the gambling they went into, you know, maybe retire and go play baseball because of the gambling debts that he owed or Stern made him do that. There was just enough of that to make it have some depth to it, I think. I, I watched it in the same light as what you're saying now. But I, I just, just to play it from the other side, I wonder if, the last 20 years have like even if you look at movies and who the heroes are in movies and like what we hold up as acceptable with behavior and in, in modern society all this kind of stuff i just think it's really interesting to consider the if, anti-hero yeah if basically this the way that we look at an acceptable hero or even somebody to look up look up to has changed so much in 20 years that just revealing, like you can have the star of a show be a drug addict and a gambler now. 
Yeah. And if they're still a winner or a mess doesn't matter. But in the night, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that was 10 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. Um Don so Draper. It, just, it makes it makes me wonder about modern society that like are did we just did we just look at all this and go, this is enough this is now the new threshold of what people can receive and handle and still consider the person they're watching to be a hero um in terms of character that's what it made me think of but i mean i'm i'm a jordan fan too and he beat my sons in the 93 finals and that was a hard episode by the way eric you should skip that episode it was it was in the first it was in the first 30 seconds they show the 91 92 and 93 with paxton hitting the the three and i'm just like oh gosh But in spite of that, like I was still, I still really looked up to Jordan, right? And so, I I watched the documentary in the same light that you're talking about. I just was fascinated, and I I loved him. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder about those things, you know? Like, did they just go deep enough, as deep as we could handle now? Yeah. You know, it's possible. What What do you think, Eric? What was your take on that? How much they fluffed him up? Well, I, I don't think it came. You know, again, the documentary is really about the final season for the bulls and he's the primary piece in that so it's not really about jordan but it ends uh, up being no i i mean but it is the Bulls, so it is about <laughs> jordan right so yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't feel like it fluffed him up i feel like it it was pretty accurate in 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 yeah you know yeah there's more that we can handle nowadays than we could have 20 years ago but um I think I think it showed that he's human. That he's not superhuman. He's superhuman at a particular thing. But he's very human and he has yeah. flaws and I think that's maybe that's part of the thing that we're more able to accept but we've always been able to accept flaws. Just different various levels of flaws in people. So his might have been more grievous. I mean we knew about all of Rodman's flaws back in the day, but he wasn't the hero either. Yeah, yeah that's true. So I guess, you know, one thing is that in watching this, I, I begin to appreciate Jordan more. I, I was probably a Jordan hater for the longest time, again, because of my sons. Uh, I expressed something similar to Cameron back in January after Kobe Bryant passed away that I kind of missed the opportunity to experience his greatness and appreciate it in the time that it was happening. I saw it, I experienced it. It was just, I was on the receiving end and I never bothered to say something great is happening. Don't smile. Don't smile. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so I guess part of me is, is looking back very nostalgically at those, at this documentary, because a lot of that is when I grew up and a lot of it happened while I was growing up. And I experienced some of it from a distance, right? I was a Suns fan. I wasn't watching the Bulls closely, but they always ended up being on the TV at the end of the season. So uh, I experienced it, but again, I didn't appreciate it. I was like, ah, Jordan just irritates me because he beat the Suns. Yeah. yeah, and not to rub it in, guys, but I, I, I think that 93, that Sun series, 
in, in my opinion, was when Jordan was at his all-time best. Um, and there were two different things. You know, some people have said, why did they make the documentary? Why did he sit on this for 22 years? And, you know, maybe he, maybe he made it because LeBron is starting to get into that conversation of, of the best ever. I, I don't think he's anywhere near, but some people say that he's there or, or close to there. Anyway, I, I bring that up because there were two separate, because it, as I was watching it, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm specifically going to try to pick out points that, oh, that's why he's the best player ever. That's, that's something that stands out. And those two moments is after the, the first championship, after he beat Magic, and after the third championship, after he beat Barkley, both Magic and Barkley in the post-game interview, they weren't mad. They weren't ticked off that they lost to him. They just said, we lost to the best player. You know, we played really well. And Magic said something like, yeah, you can't even be mad because you just lost to the best. And Barkley said something like, you know, I look at sports as a, as a gunfight and we were just, you know, out, outgunned in that. And when two all-time great players who were on the original dream team talk like that about a guy, it's like, I mean, they, they were beaten and they knew it and they knew he was that much better than them. And I just thought, wow, you don't, you don't hear pro athletes talk like that ever. And two yeah. all-time greats talk to talked about him like that. Hold on one second. Okay. Just wait till he's back and we'll pick it up. Sure. You can cut this part out, Eric. Oh, I plan on it. <laughs> Sit them dancing. Heavy editing to this one. It's got a plug in my phone. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, athletes I are that's not a really great point. Athletes are very rarely. And, and of course, athletes have, have gotten really good. I'd say in the past 20, 25 years of going on TV in interviews and saying, uh, you know, they played great. We just got to play a little bit better. We can right. do it. But that's different. That's saying he's better than us. Not he had a better night. Yeah, we didn't have the breaks we wanted. Yeah, we should have hit more shots. Or yeah, they played really. It's like no, he's just better. We're not we're not as good as him. And that that is not something that's easy for an athlete to say. Is that the other guy was better? Yeah, and is better. And there's nothing you can do about it. And not, oh, we, we just need to execute better next time. No, no, you, you're not going to execute better against him and win. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, that, that I, game four. Yeah, I, that's a really interesting point. Go ahead, Nick. I, I just think it's a really good point. Because that was even in an era when guys weren't, you know, were not as friendly, allegedly. I mean... There were still some guys who were friends. Barkley and Jordan were supposed to be friends, and uh, so that was there. But they were allegedly not as friendly. You know, it was they didn't talk as much and give as much credit to one another. 
um, off the court and in interviews as they do now. So for them to have both said that, it's just, it is really, really fascinating. Um, and I, I agree. I think, I think he's probably the best ever. And I think that he, I think he would still be like the best now because he had this weird combination of, he was the most talented and the most competitive. Right. And if you combine, like, you take somebody like Steve Nash, for example. Guy, you know, as a professional athlete, is just not up there as a basketball player in terms of uh, his natural gifts, right? Like, as an athlete, he's not a gigantic leaper. He's not the fastest guy on the court. But he's going to work as hard or harder than everybody else. And he has a crazy competitive fire. And he's smart. And that's why he ended up being good, those three things. Jordan had all those things and he was the best athlete on the floor most of the time. Right. And so I just don't, I don't even know if you see that now, you know, I'm not sure who that guy is. I guess, like you said, it would be, it would be LeBron, but I don't think he's as competitive as, as Jordan was. So that's, Um, that's interesting because we've, we've kind of gotten into this before. Um, I don't know if it's ever ended up on the podcast with Cameron, but okay. So I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, Michael Jordan is number one. So what's next on the list for you? You're talking to me? You're asking me? I, both of you. Both of you. I have no idea. You go first. <laughs> you go first. I, I, I think it's hard to say. Um, it's hard to make the case that LeBron has surpassed Kareem. Um mm. Kareem is unbelievably consistent. I mean, he had a 24-year NBA career. Um, He's a leading scorer by a long shot. He's got uh, six championships himself. He's got six MVPs himself. Um, And I just read in the book of basketball a couple nights ago, Kareem won finals MVPs like 14 years apart, something like that, Um, which is just that blows your mind. Um, Isaiah Thomas puts Kareem as the best basketball player ever. I mean, I, I don't think he is, but um, Kareem. Well, probably, Isaiah Thomas is not going <laughs> to. I think yeah, he has some I mean, bias Obviously, there. he's going to be pretty bitter. <laughs> um, but I, I think his opinion still matters in that, you know, he knows basketball and, and Kareem's right there. Um, I would put Kareem probably two. Um, three is probably um uh russell bill russell even though he played in oh you really hate lebron i I think that (laughs) i think that he could still play today and and be basically a a kevin garnett today but he was just he was a totally different type of leader totally different type of of guy but his the way that his teammates revered him i would put him probably third um lebron has has surpassed Duncan in my mind. So, so probably we put LeBron at, at four ahead of magic, ahead of bird, ahead of Duncan. So what that's, that's top eight and Shaq. There's, there's no way that Shaq's outside the top 10. Um, Shaq at his peak was the best player, including Jordan that I ever saw. There was no two guys in the NBA that could guard Shaq in that two-year time that he had. He was 
through the force of nature. You don't so have Kobe in the top, top 10? 10? What's that? You don't have Kobe in the top 10? Kobe's right outside that. I mean, I'm, I'm biased. I, I absolutely love Kobe. Um, he, he didn't stay healthy enough. Had he stayed healthy at the end of his career, he'd be probably top five, but he missed a lot of games in, in his late 30s. A lot. And I, that, that has to count somehow. I mean, Kobe, and, and Kobe had a rough Kobe time after Toronto, that. Who are yeah. you going to, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe Kobe Shaq are right there, nine, 10, something like that. I, you might, you might talk me into Kobe having a better career than Shaq, but I also, I, I just look at dominance and when a guy was at his best, Shaq was incredible, man. Yeah, he so, really was. But in terms of competitiveness, I, Kobe had a rough. Yeah, I guess there, there's part of me that I look at like I, I. And again, we have to understand that my basketball IQ in terms of basketball history and players and teams is far less than either of yours. Um, and mine only extends back to like the 1993 Suns, and that's where it starts. That's where basketball history starts for me. So, Barkley's your all-time best player. Mark West is number three. (laughs) Kevin Johnson is number two. Barkley. So, (laughs) it happens to all be sons. Uh, It's like Michael Jordan and and then Kobe, right? But I think in terms of personality, competitiveness, athleticism, um, and that that will to win, I think theirs is very comparable. He's yeah. mentality wise, he's the closest thing we've seen to Jordan. And that's why, that's why I loved him so much. I think is, yeah, he, he was a Jordan clone. I mean, there was a reason that they interviewed him for the last dance, right? That there were a lot of era parents, but Kobe was the guy that was, kind of next in line. If, if you look at um, like the mid 2000s before the Lakers got Gasol, I don't want to turn this into a Kobe podcast, but it, he had like a bad four or five year run of luck. Yeah. When he was in his prime, like scored 81 during that time, I remember facing him in the playoffs with the Suns, those Nash Suns teams. Yeah. Freaking terrifying. I was terrified about that. <laughs> if we if the Lakers with were within like three or four points with under a couple minutes left, I was convinced yeah. we were gonna lose. Yeah. Because he just wasn't gonna miss. He just wasn't. It didn't matter how many guys were on him. He was at a peak and his team was the most awful thing on the face Garbage. of the earth. It was like Smush Parker. <laughs> And yeah, that's the first one we both think of. And a, a collection of terribles. Yeah. And like, and if you look at, Jordan did have, he did come at the right time. Like, he really had a nice run of being the most competitive and being the most athletic and being, landing in this era where he had to battle against some of the greatest teams of all time. And then all of a sudden, the league just wasn't that great. Yeah. 
those guys were gone, and there was that those six titles he won. Some of them were harder than others. Like those those late '90s NBA teams. If you look at their rosters, they're not super awesome. Like, there's one episode in The Last Dance where uh, I think it's the Hornets they play against, and they do like a little five or ten minute piece on somebody on the Hornets offending him. Who was that? DJ Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. After he had left the Bulls, that's right. Yeah. And he talks a little shit, and and uh, then Jordan goes off on him. That's really that's maybe the least flattering ten minutes of the entire thing to Jordan. Mm-hmm. In your doc, who cares? Exactly, and and but that was like a second round playoff, or maybe a first round playoff series. Mm-hmm. That team was terrible. Yeah, B.J. Armstrong was not good, you know, and they were they were facing that team in the playoffs. So there there's that to be said for for his era, as 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 tough as the foul calls were, and as competitive as it was, the league was a little bit more diluted or was on its way to being super diluted, I would say, toward the I, late 90s. His I first don't know. I, maybe not. I kind of disagree. And, and you know, look at that 98 year. So they went, they beat the Nets the first round. Okay, not a good team. They beat the Hornets the second round. Okay, not a good team. That Pacers team almost beat the Bulls. I mean, they okay. were, a, a, you know, a, a tap in the fourth quarter away from beating the Bulls in, in seven games. And, you know, that jazz team, the 98 jazz team was better than the 97 jazz team. So I think there were in, in every instance, they didn't really have an easy, but by the time you get to the Eastern conference finals and the finals, they didn't have an easy run. Whereas the Lakers, you know, you look at the Lakers in 2002 that Nets team was not good at all. I mean, well, by the, then the, the league was fully deleted. That Nets team blew my mind. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think there was there were fewer good teams in the '90s, but the good teams that the teams that were at the top of the league were very, very good teams. Yeah, I would agree with that. I the still team. think he's the best, but yeah. I just it's interesting. I mean, there's to there's the so era. many guys from that era that didn't get a championship that were good enough to get a championship that Jordan took it away from. I mean, look at Patrick Ewing, you know, he absolutely should have gotten at least two championships, you know, and Barkley and, and um, Malone. Carl Malone. Yeah. And, um, you know, all of those guys were definitely good enough to get there, but Jordan just Gary Payton, um, Sean Kemp, those guys were, that was a great Sonics team that they beat in 96. Yeah. That's like my NBA jam lineup. Right. <laughs> three on three. He's on fire. Oh, it was two on two. <laughs> was it? Was the so best good. team was, um, <laughs> it was Kendall Gill and um, Larry Johnson. I always use them in, uh, in NBA jam. The Hornets. The Hornets were so popular in the 90s. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the programmers gave him a couple of point bump I think on their so. player ratings because the Hornets were like ridiculously popular. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, I was reading an article about uh, uh, how the Last Dance got made and how um, this footage was taken to Jordan in different ways throughout the years, and 
And he always – they either couldn't get to him to get his approval because, you know, he and, uh, and I think yeah. what Phil Jackson, yeah, had the approval to, to show it. Either they couldn't get to him or he would say no or some combination. And finally, the guy who was producing the doc, who also produced the Allen Iverson, I think, 30 for 30 doc. Oh, cool. He gets to the um, – yeah, he gets to a meeting with Jordan. He doesn't know what to write and what to present to him. So he, he presents this packet and there's a letter at the end of the packet and the packet just shows like the stuff that the guy has produced. And then the letter at the back of the packet, it's one line and it says, um, there are kids growing up today wearing your shoes who've never seen you play. It's time. <laughs> and Jordan just looks up at him and goes, okay, let's do it. That's cool. So like, if that's truly the thing that sold him, this thing was definitely about legacy for him. Which might be oh, obvious, 100%. but like, and his production company is on it. And so that's the only thing that gives me pause. And I guess I'm referencing the question that I asked before, which is like, you know, it, I don't think we're getting the full story, but I think you get enough to get a clear picture of who he was. And, and he was definitely the greatest. Yeah. Uh, by the way, LeBron is my number two, I think. I just... I just can't put him any lower than that. I'm not even a LeBron fan, but just to watch what he's done for 20 years, I think he's I, got to be I get the two. feeling, and I think Cameron has put this in one way, but I'll put it in a different way. I get the feeling that LeBron always feels like he's ma- he's currently making the documentary. Right. Like he has that it's the annoying mind. thing. And, and that's <laughs> the thing that, like, Jordan was just living his life and playing the game and trying to win. Yeah. LeBron is doing some of those things, but he's also, he's also like, he this knows is all going to be in my documentary. <laughs> this is all going to be in right. it. So everything I do has to look as if I'm the most competitive, has to look as if I'm doing all the things that the greats have done, has to yeah. look like I'm like, I've got my game face on all the time. And it just feels in, well, disingenuous. Authentic. And I, and I, you know, it all goes back to, uh, the uh, the decision, right? It all goes back to the decision. You Here's, had to have what, a special. And so it's just, since then, it's all been about how do we, pre- how well, do you, you present yourself, right? And, yeah. You can't help but look at him in that light, you know, like because of that, all you think about is the decision. You're right. You're just like, uh, this kind of looks like that whenever he talks. Yeah, uh, this kind of looks manufactured. This kind of looks. I agree. It's it's very annoying, and it's it's when you look at it, it's it's kind of too bad for him because, in terms of like mistakes he's made as a person that have been revealed or yeah. we know about, sure. the guy's like perfect. Right. He has like a That's perfect true. record. Absolutely. It's just the decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't have. He doesn't get caught in strip clubs. He doesn't beat women. He doesn't have friends that are drug dealers. His friends like a powerhouse NBA agent. He's not like a, he's not gambling. Uh, but but yeah. to your point though, Nick, like we need that flawed <laughs> yeah. hero. You know, <laughs> we need you. that flawed hero, and it's something about that. Well, his flaw is that he's narcissistic. I mean, yeah, but that's not enough of a flaw <laughs> because we are all, we're all like into it. Yeah. Right. I'll I'll tell you what my biggest criticism of LeBron is because I, I can't criticize his game. You know, he really has no holes. 
but more so than the, than the decision in 2010, I once saw him and it was so obvious. He, he said, hey, hey, take a picture of me. And he was walking into the arena for a playoff game, acting like he was reading a book, like he was walking and he was reading some like super, oh, I forget what it was. It, it was, you know, uh, something intellectual, historical, intellectual, yeah. you know, something we all would book. enjoy. And it's exactly totally. It's approved by dad bought history, but it's like, there's no way that he actually read that book. And it, even if he did, every time that he read it, he called a camera over so that they could <laughs> capture him reading it. And it just, oh, it burns me so much. And I'm, I'm not a hater. And, and you and I have talked about this, Eric, like when LeBron finally retires, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to say, man, I wish I would have experienced him and, and appreciated him during his career, but I just can't, I can't bring myself to do it. You know, it is, it's hard to do that though. Cause thinking back on Kobe, thinking back on Michael Jordan, it's hard to, to experience and appreciate something over 13 years or over 15 years, as opposed to in a condensed documentary. Yeah. Right. Because in late January of this past year, in watching all of these Kobe Bryant tributes, I was like, hey, you know, they're highlighting all these moments in his career. And I'm like, I missed this. I, I didn't, I didn't pay attention to it. Well, I did. I mean, I saw it all in the highlights. I was just irritated by it, but it also stretched over the course of what, nearly 20 years. Like that, the same thing with Michael Jordan. Like I was alive during that all time, that whole time, but having it condensed into a documentary helped me helped put it into context for me and kind of focus on what was happening without all the stretches between, right? It's hard to, if you're going to follow a player's career over the course of 20 years, it's hard to fully appreciate it because it's going to be diluted by your life and all these other players and all this other stuff going on. Right. So it's hard to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's well said, you know, and, and we all don't have the, the luxury of having a film crew follow us around and, and, you know, document our legacy, but it, it's a good lesson to us as, as regular people is that, you know, we may not have the, the audience and following that uh, Michael Jordan does, but you know, you're going to be remembered for something. And um, he's, he's it. And, and I remember Kobe saying this too, is I'm at peace with how things have worked out. Kobe looks at it as he came one championship short of being where he wanted to be because he wasn't quite the player that Jordan was, but he said, I'm going to sleep well every night and I'm going to ride off into the sunset because I did everything that I possibly could do to cement my legacy or to, to be as good of a player as I could. And I always thought that was cool about Kobe. He was such a good interviewer or a, an interview and he was always so introspective. And Jordan was, was kind of the same way as, 
hey, I'm just going to work as hard as I can. I'm going to focus on the basketball player. I'm not a pitch man. I'm not a, you know, Gatorade salesman. I'm a great basketball player. And if I average two points a game and three rebounds, none of this happens. It all begins and ends with what I do best, which is basketball. Um, you know, and I, I, I look for those kind of motivating things all the time as a husband, as a father, as a worker, all those things that, you know, try your best on all of this and let the, let the chips fall where they may and, and you'll feel good about it if you're working as hard as you can. And I think that's, that's what endears Michael Jordan to, to all of us, you know, whether you are a huge basketball fan or not, that resonates with everybody. Yeah. So authentic. There's one thing that, that for me sets Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, even like Bill Russell apart is all of their championships were won with one team. Mm. And LeBron has won championships with three teams. Three teams. And th- there's just something about that that's odd. And again, that's how the business is run. I, I get it. The fact that he can do that, bring that to three different organizations is amazing. But for me, there's something to that loyalty factor, right? There's that loyalty factor. This is the team that I'm part of. Yeah. And that's, that's it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's been uh, hard to see today with, um, you know, everybody, all these players moving around so much and kind of going wherever they want. It was actually kind of nice to see Giannis sign the contract this week and yeah. stay with the small market team and, and try to basically do what we talked about before, which is there are these teams that are better than the Bucks that they haven't been able to beat and he's going to stay there and try to beat them, you know, and, I like that. That's yeah. that speaks to loyalty and it speaks to hard work and it speaks to not just quitting something when it gets hard, you know. And uh, I would like to see more of that. I, it's one of the things I really loved about a lot of those guys in the '80s and '90s is they would stick it out with one team until they won or or didn't. Not all of them, you know. Some of them bounced around. Barkley was on the Sixers and then the Suns and then the Rockets and. You know, it still happens then too, but not as much as it is now, I think. But it just goes to show you that, that sports is a microcosm for life. That's why we love it so much. And that's why it's, um, you know, what do they say? It's soap opera. It's a soap opera for men, you know, because all of the relationships and all of the things that are intertwined in that, plus it's, it's a metaphor for life. And, you know, we can all dream and, know we're obviously not gonna make it to the nba but um it absolutely can connect to our life one way or another you know eric hoffman wants to be the michael jordan of teaching and you know pareko wants to be the the michael jordan of, of marketing and you know we nobody's immune to that yeah, i'd be i'd be happy with with being like the Dennis Rodman of teaching, <laughs> whatever that is. <laughs> Maybe the AC green of teaching squeaky clean and <laughs> a bad knee. 
<laughs> to start wearing that, uh, that ridiculous teddy bear on your head while you're teaching like a, like a kindergarten teacher. Those Dennis Rodman episodes are amazing. Can you imagine if he was doing that kind of stuff today? Oh my gosh. Crazy. He left, like, left the team in the middle of the NBA finals. Yeah, just to go to Vegas for 48 hours. Just need 48 hours. Yeah. Was and it in the finals? Back. or just Yeah, it was in the finals against Utah in 90, I think it was in 98 year. Right before game, he, game four. He, you know, and they only had... Was, I think he goes twice, though, right? Like, the one you're talking about is the finals. I think the one Eric is thinking of is maybe during the season, the year before yes. or something. He, he went and he just he goes went to the party. Before, yeah. yeah. But anyway, but what were you saying? I mean, it, was, it was before game four of the 98 finals. They're up 2-1. The Bulls are up 2-1. Game four is the difference between up 3-1 or tied 2-2. Like, that's other than, you know, a potential game seven – that's the biggest game of the series. And he's like, yeah, no, I need to get away. And I, I, I cannot believe that, that yeah. how that wasn't a bigger deal. And it just spoke to the leadership of this team that they were able to absorb that. Phil was able to absorb that. Jordan and Pippen just said, yeah, you know, do what you got to do. And he came back and he got a, a huge – offensive rebound to, to steal another possession for them in game four. He hits a big, big free throw and they end up winning, you know, a, a tight game like that. There was so much theater. It, it, it was just, you couldn't have drawn it up any better that 98 season. It was so dramatic. Yeah. I totally agree. Nick, I want to ask you a question about the, the structure of the documentary. Yeah. Um, so I noticed, and I probably remember it from when I watched it from before, but I noticed it's like every episode is following the 97-98 season, right? So the all 10 episodes slowly follows that season, but all 10 episodes are also going backwards in time to all these different points. Yeah. So you, mm-hmm. you kind of have these two different timelines going. The one is 97, 98, and the other is 86 through 98. Mm-hmm. What do you, th- I, I, I like that kind of structure. I think it's interesting. Will um, I think about it? Yeah. Honestly, I thought it was a little bit confusing, um, but I, I, I wasn't confused. But like my wife was confused and my friend's wife was confused, which means that most people who weren't at least somewhat following the career of Michael Jordan at the time were probably a little bit confused um, because it bounces around so much. I mean, there's one, there's some episodes toward the end of the season where they're bouncing from the the 97 finals against the Jazz to like, the 98 Pacers series slash they're about to play the jazz. Yeah. And so it just gets really confusing. If you like, I know those series in and out, right. I know which year the flu game was. I know which year was the uh, Steve Kerr game winner. I know, but if you don't, that's super confusing to, they don't even look different. It's one year apart. Right. (laughs) When you go back and forth. So, I mean, I think that that was a little, that was a little rough. 
but I also know that they had to finish the thing like four months earlier than they had planned on finishing it because they wanted to take advantage of COVID. Oh, that's right. I forgot. So they weren't supposed to finish until like, this thing was supposed to come out in like, I think October. I think you're right. November. It came out in June. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought they were all. Yeah. Maybe April or no, maybe it was supposed to come out in July or June. And it came out in April. Anyway, it came out months earlier than it was supposed to. And so I feel like those last episode, that last episode or two were, it felt a little bit rushed. But um, I thought the, the structure, the idea for that structure was genius when it comes to like people like Cameron and I who have watched, we're very familiar with all this stuff. We can easily bounce back and forth. And in some ways it probably made it so that the documentary could share more information than it would have been able to if you had to really like walk people through it like they've never heard of Michael Jordan before, you know? Yeah, I, I, I think to Nick's point, it, the target audience was definitely Michael Jordan junkies, not your yeah. casual fan. Um, and most of us that are very familiar with it or I had no problem bouncing back and forth, but I, I can definitely see that. Um, I, I wouldn't say that my wife watched it um <laughs> you know she she supported my obsession i i think um, i would describe my wife's support in the same way yeah but she but she was <laughs> entertained by it she thought oh this is cool but she she wasn't invested enough to say oh well what just happened there i don't understand that mm, she just mm. sat there and said oh that's that's cool right right so yeah i thought it was I thought it was really well done in a lot of ways. It's a lot of, heck of a lot of footage to get sift through. I can't imagine. I would just want to edit the parts with the security guards. That's all <laughs> that was my favorite part of the entire series. <laughs> that and Jordan and practices. I wanted yeah. more of that. That was fascinating. Uh, yeah, I think that was my favorite part is you know, when they, I think it was like episode six or seven, where they just started talking about he's a tyrant and they, they straight up asked him that. And he said, yeah, you know, this is just the way I played the game. And he felt so strongly about it that he tears up and, you know, says right. cut. And that Michael Jordan doesn't do that. And I think that was right. the same episode where, um, and, and one of the, the greatest quotes to me in this was they're interviewing Will Purdue, who, you know, mm -hmm. role player in the, in the first three P um, very small role on the team. And he looks straight at the camera and he says, yeah, you know, sometimes we would question whether he had feelings. He was just a guy that was focused on one thing and one thing only. And this is, he says this after the first championship, the only emotion we'd ever seen out of him was anger or frustration. We were literally stunned to see him and those emotions after the first series, after the first championship. And it's like, I mean, if that doesn't say it all, I don't know what yeah. does. Yeah. My, my favorite quote, and again, just watching the first three, the second time through is, is Dennis Rodman's where he's, he's talking about all of the, all the other stuff, right? all the interviews and drama and he's like i'll play for free 
but I get paid to deal with all the other BS. Yeah. Like I'll play this game for free. I love it so much, but it's everything else that is the reason I get paid. Yeah. Hmm. I would have liked to see some interviews with a couple of guys that were just like, yeah, he was an asshole and it didn't really work for me in the end. So <laughs> like, he didn't have to be that way. I just, I wonder who, who actually feels like that. Cause I buy the guys who were like, Hey, I, who was it? Was it Wennington or maybe I can't remember who it was who gets on there. And maybe it was Will Purdue. He gets on there and says, Hey, yeah, he was an asshole, but in the end we won championships. Yeah, One of the guys I think says, it was Will Purdue. Yeah, and I respect that because I think that makes sense to me. But uh, I would have loved to hear from the guys who are on the other side who are just like, yeah, I was just a jerk. And then hear Jordan's response to that. The only time we really get that in the doc is uh, um, Gary Payton. Gary uh, or Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, or Isaiah. Yeah, both of those. Isaiah does the whole thing. But, uh, you know, you get, you get Scott Burrell, and he's basically like Jordan's uh, punching bag for a yeah. while. That <laughs> poor guy. That <laughs> poor, poor, poor guy. guy. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would have loved to hear some stories like that. But, I mean, in the end, those guys are right. You know, you, you don't want to put up with it. You can walk away. And if you, if you want to win – then you stay and you take the punishment. And then at the end of the day, you win NBA championships that you can and talk he about. Would, he made you know. a lot of guys, a lot of money. You know, there's, yeah. there's no way that we talk about Pippen as a top 50 all time player. You know, there's, there's no way, um, you know, all of these guys were, were no name guys. Joe Klein has a championship. Thanks to Michael Jordan, you know, I love um, me some Joe Klein. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I went through that roster, that 97-98 roster, outside of the big three, and, and you know, maybe Kerr, they were not a deep roster at all. They had unbelievable defensive versatility. You know, those top three guys, um, Jordan could guard one to four, Pippen could guard one to four, and Rodman could guard two to five, and you just you don't see that in yeah. the NBA. Um, but outside of that, I mean, there were a lot of bad, not just serviceable, bad players that just fit a very specific role on that team. That's true. When, when I talk about the, the NBA being a little bit diluted in the later 90s, it also was true of the Bulls. Like, yeah. they were not a deep team. They didn't have a lot of – so that's a, good, that's a good point on the other side, like. It really was the top guys who were carrying it. What What do you think of Pippen? Do you think without Jordan, where does he rank? What kind of career does he have? Yeah, I've, I've thought about that a lot. Um, and obviously, he, he would have been a great player. I mean, he was too athletic and too good defensively um, to, to not have a lot of success. I Side note, um, as I was looking at it, I, I looked up his wingspan. Um, and he's six eight, and I think his wingspan is seven four, which is just unbelievable, and a big reason why he was such a good defensive player. But you know, bottom line is Pippen's a top 
five, probably defender of all time. Um, he would have been an all-star. He probably would have eked out a, a second or a one or two championships, but Jordan said it really well. Like Pippen's the type of guy that needs somebody to stand next to him. He can't be the best player. And, you know, he's just so emboldened when, when somebody stands next to him and fights with him. So, yeah, I mean, great player, but he, he should write Jordan a $20 million check, man. <laughs> How much? Maybe he did. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and, and for all the – I looked this one up later, too. For all the talk about salaries and everything, Pippen actually earned more in his basketball career than, than Jordan did. Um, really? Yeah. He got a couple of contracts, like with the, when he was playing for the Blazers, he was making 20, yeah. 22 million a year um, for a couple of years there. And then when he played for the Rockets, he was making big money when they had those four, they were all washed up hall of famers at the time, but they had four right. hall of famers on one, one roster in like 2000 or 2001, something like that. Yeah. So kind of, wow. kind of interesting. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, where, where does Pippen rank there if he's on another team? I don't know if he wins a title. Really? At all. Because I totally agree with you that he, it's like what you said, Jordan said, he needs somebody to stand uh, next to him and, and be the guy who said, okay, we're going to fight. And then he would fight. Right. And yeah. so who's that guy if it's not Jordan? And even if he gets that guy on his team, who's going to stand there with him and be the leader, is that guy going to lead them to championships, you know? I just, I don't know if he's, I don't know if he would be on that team with, with a guy like Jordan. Um, I mean, look at all the guys that didn't win championships, you know, to your point earlier, in Jordan's era, who got beat by him. Yeah, because so. he would have had to go through Jordan, that's true. Conversely, though, uh, does Jordan win without him? I think he could have. I think he could have. I, I think Pippen was the best player, the best skill set to pair with Jordan because he was yeah. super athletic. He could take the ball from Jordan and, and bring the ball up. Um, but yeah, Jordan would have had another running mate that, you know. You, you could have yeah. plugged in another guy with similar skill set because it's not like Pippen was totally unique. Other guys could do that, that stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. I wonder what would have happened if it was him and like one of those 90s centers, you know, if he had gotten one of the, just the decent 90s centers. Yeah. Dominant. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, if you put Pippen on the, you know, the, the 92 Knicks or, Something like that, because oh, that that was a good team. Where yeah. you put Pippen on the the bad boy Pistons of the late eighties, I, I I'd say he gets a championship under under those you, you, by taking Pippen away from Jordan and giving him to another team. Maybe J Jordan doesn't go six for six. Maybe he goes five for five, or maybe he goes you know, four for six or something like that in, in championships. Cause I, I mean, I, I think Pippen's that good. He's, he was an incredible defensive player and, you know, in his own right, he, he was 
really good in transition. He could do a lot of things offensively. Um, tough, tough to defend. He just wasn't ever a number one. Yeah. All right. I have a question for both of you. If you could take the 98 Bulls and you got a front row seat to a seven-game series, like best seat in the house, free, any era, you, could, you had a time machine, you could make this happen, which team would you watch the 98 Bulls play a seven-game series against? Well, can I change that a little bit? Because I don't think the 98 Bulls were the best team. Okay, the 93 Bulls. Had to be the best to beat the Suns, right? That's right. I like that. <laughs> um, I fully support Cameron's assertion that the 93 Bulls were the best team <laughs> of all time. Yeah. Well, here's the other question. <laughs> that's not biased at all. Is it 1993 referees or is it 2020 referees? That's a good question. Mm. It's a seven-game series. You flip a coin for home court advantage. You, your home court advantage is not your home court. It's that you get the rest from your era. Oh, man. For the entire series. Just for those four games. And then the other three games, or whatever, however many it goes. So your road games, it's at a neutral court, but your road games are played with rest from the opposite era. <laughs> oh, man. The you know how hard era. that would be to adjust to. <laughs> I know, but it would be awesome. Dick Bavetta is going to be refereeing both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's old enough. Um, okay, so they always say that the toughest matchup for the Bulls would have been a great low post scorer. And that's kind of what Malone was, um, which is why Utah gave them such problems. Um, I think it would have been really cool to put the Shaq Kobe Lakers against the 93 Bulls. And I don't know, man, that, that Laker team, when they got hot with Kobe you know, Kobe wasn't, you know, the the arrogant jerk yet that that he developed into <laughs> later in his career. He was still, you know, 23, 24 in those, you know, that three-peat with Shaq. Shaq was absolutely unstoppable. There's no way that um, Rodman could have guarded him. That would have been a, a seven-game knockdown drag out series i think yeah it would have been interesting for them to be able to throw all their wing defenders at kobe though like that would have yeah. been helpful for the bulls yeah but, i mean Shaq, they had no answer for Shaq, and a Shaq team beat jordan in the playoffs yeah in 95 came back uh -huh. kind of interesting right yeah that's a good choice i think mine I know this is maybe like recency bias, but I think like the 2017 Warriors would be pretty fascinating to watch. Yeah. yeah. Durant and Curry and Clay, like, man, just the clash of styles. I would, right. I'd take good money to watch that. 
that would make it that would be really, fun. really interesting with, with today's rules to spread the court out. Because Durant yeah, is Durant's such a tough matchup. I think he might be the X factor in that series. Yeah. You know? Like, he might be the one who pushes the Warriors over. But I would never count Jordan out. Right. Yeah, I mean, on paper, you can make a really good case for both of those teams beating the Bulls. But it's like, mm, not not if Jordan's at his best, you know? Yeah. I, all, I, all I see in my mind is him stealing the ball from Malone in the 98 finals behind, right? Like, he, no matter how, what the mismatch is or what's happening, he always found a way. Eric, what do you think? So, the 90s like, you can't choose a premier club team. <laughs> Tottenham Spurs. Um, <laughs> I'd say 93 Bulls who beat the Suns. And I'm going to go with my son's bias in that that's pretty much all I know. And the uh, 2005 Spurs who also beat the Suns. Oh, wow. I think that'd be interesting because Duncan very Parker different methods of winning games. Yeah. Um, the Spurs, not, not like violent, like the Pistons defensively, but just, just, tough defense and they also they have that thing that jordan did that kobe did that like mono ginobili and tony parker did where they just put the ball in the air and it just finds its way into the basket and to me is absolutely infuriating because what i always say is how do these guys have such good luck and i know it's not luck i know that it's they've done that hundreds of thousands of times so they know the touch and they know how it all goes but you talk like a son fan but it's very frustrating. <laughs> I, I know it well. It's so hard. And I'd have Tim Donahue referee all the games after placing the bets. Good. I, I don't think that Spurs team beats the 93 Bulls. I don't think Duncan has enough help on that team to beat the 93 Bulls. Yeah, it would be tough. Ginobili, you know, got Sean Marks. He's a, he's a nice player. He's a tough player. Who? Sean Marks. Yes. Yeah. And Robert Ory. Oh gosh, I do hate that. Ory. Team. He was a killer. Yeah. He was a killer. I I knew that by the end of this podcast, we would have to lament about the Suns. I knew you guys would get that in one way or another. Man. It's really hard. You don't understand what it's like. Hey, five thirty-eight has them seventy percent chance hey, of the playoffs fan. this year. I, I I suffered long enough. Oh, well, I'm a Dodgers fan. What did they most recently do? <laughs> Win the World Series. Well, it was so rough. years in the making. Thank you oh, very much. You poor thing. Yeah, but... Has LA had anything since then? <laughs> <laughs> had a few decent years. I love that we're the Suns fans crying from out of state to the guy who's still a Phoenix. And for the record, I was I was a big fan of those Amari and and uh, Steve Nash teams. You know, I, I I've I've always had a similar feeling about like 
does, is Sean Marion, does he have any of those numbers without Steve Nash? Does Amari Sotomayor do what he, he did without Steve Nash? Both of those guys were an epitome of the systems guy. They, they did one thing really well. They were selected exactly for that team. And uh, I, I mean, I will make the argument that Amari, before he got hurt, he was becoming different. He was becoming an individually dominant, I create my own shot guy. Um, and then he got injured. And it was never really back to that again. And so he went to the Knicks and he continued to have knee problems. But like if you watch um, the 2005 Western Conference Finals against the Spurs, that team that Eric was just talking about, it wasn't even about the Nash Amari pick and roll anymore. It was it was that, but then it was just dump it down to Amari against Duncan, one of the best post defenders in the game, and he just he didn't stand a chance. Amari like, played out of his mind in, in against Duncan. Yeah, and then that summer he got hurt, and so he was. I think he was becoming something more than a systems guy. Marion for sure, always, but I. I this is my son's uh, son's lament again, right? Like, we always we always get, have some bad luck, some bullshit that goes down, some Ori checking Nash into the scores table type crap. God, so think <laughs> about that. I was living for days. Is that? Oh, and you know what ends up happening? Amari and uh, who else gets suspended? For the next game because they they stepped off the bench because of the new rule yeah that was bs that was ridiculous unbelievable well it's a letter of the law you can't step on the court that was okay they just saw steve nash really get checked bad. into the tables yeah okay but here's okay. the thing though and and this is an interesting this is an interesting point uh that i am a little bit reluctant to bring up right now but steve nash recently admitted that he sold that that check a little bit that there was a little acting. He plays Still, soccer. I mean, there's there's he's some a soccer player. Optics he's, aside, which, he got hip checked into the boards there. No question. No, he about did. It. I think he laid there a little long, is what he said. He was like, but it's just interesting because he did that so that it would maximize punishment against the Spurs. Mm. But it actually screwed the Spurs over because <laughs> if he had just popped back up. Then the players don't run out, but yeah. him laying there is where they're like, "We got to go check on our teammate yeah, and right. defend him because he's on the ground." <clears throat> Just the luck of the fifteen sun. years later, Goes all the way he, back he to the coin flip. <laughs> Goes back to the coin flip. Do you know about this, Cameron? It's turning into a Suns podcast. Okay. Um, <laughs> only, only, the only thing I can think of is the uh, Patrick Ewing. Uh, draft lottery in 85 no goes back further no. than that okay 1968 the suns are an expansion team all right new expansion team the way that all the lakers fans shake their heads at me <laughs> <laughs> i'm seeing that guys meme of the guy standing up on the on the whiteboard you know explaining his conspiracy theory i'm, I'm listening <laughs> It's not a conspiracy. It's just bad luck. I just want you to feel sorry for us because that's all we have. <laughs> Luel Sindor is going to be the first pick in the draft. Yeah. 
there's a coin flip to see who gets the first pick. Okay. Bucks Suns. Bucks win the coin flip. Bad luck ever since. We could have had Kareem Abdul Jabbar, and he would have stayed. Best player ever. He just exactly, he would have been on the West Coast. He would have been happy. He didn't need to go to LA. He just had to get the hell out of Milwaukee. He just stays on the West Coast. He's happy in the sun. He plays 25 years. We win titles. Totally different franchise. Now here we are, you know, 50 years later. We have COVID no titles. probably wouldn't have happened if if Kareem would have gone to the to Phoenix like he rightly belonged. That's you know? 100% accurate. Okay, so Nick, what you need to do is write write the the the, the sports series. It's the alternate reality based on that coin flip, like. What does history look like sports-wise and politics-wise, probably, <laughs> if that coin flip goes the other way? How has the world changed? It sounds like a book to me. Yeah. Okay. I would still be teaching if, if uh, Kareem would have gone to Phoenix. <laughs> well, you probably would have gotten drafted to the hapless Lakers. There's really only one. 50 years hapless. without a title. <laughs> Yeah, and we'd be talking about the 16-time world champion. They'd actually be a they'd be a G League team at this point. <laughs> there's, there's really only one common variable with uh, you know Jake and Cameron not teaching anymore, and that's you, Eric. Ooh, <laughs> you Listen, it's not that I haven't tried to get him back into it. I'm telling you, I have, but yeah, I get texts all the time. And then I'm just I started hanging out with you in my early 20s. I'm trying to. <laughs> Get them to join me so they can coach basketball. I mean, for no other reason. If for the, no other reason. I've got to start my ascension to Phil Jackson level somewhere. You know, I might as well start with <laughs> as my assistant. <laughs> Gosh. It might work. It might work. It looks right. like uh, the Clippers are running the triangle this year. I saw I that. Today. Good luck. <sighs> Yeah, seriously. <clears throat> okay, so NBA League Pass. If I want to get it for one team for the season, it's $120. But if mm-hmm. I just want to pay for it monthly, it's 18 bucks a month. But the season yeah. runs three months. That so doesn't. it costs me... Three it's months. done, but March 2nd is the last... No, they're going to June. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they won't no do a regular season. That that's games. the first half. Well, okay. So now I see why the math works out. Yeah. It's 72 games. Right. But March 2nd is the end of the first half of the season. They haven't released the second half of the season. So, okay. Well, still. Yeah. If it goes six months. If it goes six months, it's still a better deal. Oh, is it? Monthly. Isn't this like reprehensible at best if we all go in on a league pass aren't you supposed to buy it all each person buys their own so are we are we currently podcasting our planning of a of a crime who said are you suggesting that that? he's not suggesting that you have a dirty mind cameron and a criminal one i mean yeah no i'm I'm suggesting see a couple steps ahead or where this is going it's cheaper for me to pay monthly criminal mind than to pay the year-long fee <laughs> yeah I, I see your point i don't think that you're right though yeah that because can't the, be because the December, season starts February, now february march 
April, May, June. That's six. Six yeah. times 18 is less than 120. It's cheaper to Can pay you get for the whole it by season. Month. Well, that's paying for it by month. Yeah, I'm saying if you get league pass, does it include like the playoffs and everything? I don't know. I just, it's hard to say how many months, uh, like when the regular season ends and what that includes. And I think paying for it monthly is better because if my team starts to just take well, a dump, I can, that's what I did last year. I paid for it for like a month and I'm like, yeah, this is done. I'm out. Didn't the Suns make a, a big signing though? Chris Paul? Yeah, I mean that's that's a pretty good. Yeah, five five thirty eight has them seventy uh, percent chance to make the playoffs. So it's a good roster. We'll see. Yeah, I think we're I think we're going to be good. We'll see. It might be fun to watch. I, I'm I'm hoping for a a six seed ish. That's uh, a good team. Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and him. Yeah, and then you get uh, like Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges are pretty good. Good young players. Jay Crowder's a good player. Yeah, he's a great like starting lineup guy. Yeah, like at the four. Hmm. Good team. Maybe it's gonna be good, Eric. Yeah, I that's I think I'll pay for like one month, see where it goes. Maybe get on for the second month. We'll see. Can we do a dad bod like announcement show where we uh we you have an announcement? The announcers, we oh. act as the announcers for like a big Suns game. I was I was really excited about game. something else, but Suns Lakers. I don't think we can <laughs> broadcast a game and like give commentary on it. Sure we can. Well not legally. The NBA loves that. We'll have to do it on the NBA is super loose about this kind of stuff. <laughs> Wow, that's a... yeah. That's how they became a multi-billion-dollar corporation. Is look you know. at, look on YouTube. There's just amateur highlights everywhere. There's full right, like, yeah. If you want to, and... we can increase. We can go from dad bod history, which we've gone off the rails tonight on, to dad bod media, and we'll just have Let's different talk about divisions. Let's go. It's only you it's did seven said, minutes did... to midnight where Cameron is. I said James yeah. Naismith uh, and fine. almost and nine o'clock here. Well, with that, I we we should probably wrap this up. All right. Yeah. This. Uh, Thanks for staying up late, guys. Hey, man, yeah. this is fun. I love talking about this. You got to make Me it too. more often, Nick. I know. I really want to. And we it, do need to interview your wife. Yeah. You talked to her about Hawaii. She'll be down. She gets pretty. Uh, no, I could tell. Energized about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some emotions there for sure. Yeah, I, I'm gonna. I, I am gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be tough on her though. That's how you draw right. the truth. It's yeah. not personal. We're, we're, we'll, we just have to make sure she's uh, emotionally prepared for that. On the day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, okay. So this is Dad Bod History. We. Uh, did uh like two hours on basketball so it was fun i love talking about basketball my favorite it's good favorite topic times good stuff all right well um thanks for joining us everybody this is dad about history and we'll see you later